Hi there, and welcome to the Skylight Books author reading series. If you'd like to learn more about us and our many upcoming author events, please visit skylightbooks.com, where you can browse our inventory, buy books, and join our Friends with Benefits Club. You can also follow us on Twitter, Tumblr, and Facebook. To speak to a real live bookseller like me, please call 323-660-1175. Thanks for your support, and enjoy. Amanda Yates Garcia is a writer, artist, professional witch, and the Oracle of Los Angeles. Her work has been featured in The Millions, The LA Times, New York Times, LA Weekly, Goop, Glamour, The London Times, CNN, Salon, as well as <clears throat> a viral appearance on Tucker Carlson Tonight. <laughs> I'm sure you guys saw that. She has led classes and workshops on magic and witchcraft at UCLA, UC Irvine, MOCA, Los Angeles, the Hammer Museum, LACMA, the Getty, and many other venues. Co-host of the popular Strange Magic podcast, that's so amazing, initiated as her first book. Pam Grossman is the creator and host of the Witch Wave podcast and the author of Waking the Witch, Reflections on Women, Magic, and Power. And what is a witch? Her writing has appeared in such outlets as the New York Times, The Atlantic, and Time.com. She is co-founder of the Occult Humanities Conference at NYU, and her art exhibitions and magical projects have been featured in such publications as Art Forum, Art in America, and The New Yorker. Now, welcome the witches. for coming out. <gasps> There's a cat upstairs, too. That's Maybe they what sense it. <laughs> Raspberry. Um, wow. Thank you all so much for coming. This is... This is. <laughs> Got to do some uh, chair choreography. Sorry. <laughs> Thank you all so much for coming out. It is a real pleasure to have you here. I'm so grateful to each one of you for being here tonight. And so I really just wanted to start off with some thanks for everyone. Um, this is, I've been waiting for this night for a really long time, like 40 years. <laughs> um, and so I, I'm just gonna take my time here because it feels really special. And I've had this opening already. You know, I've, I've read at a couple other places. I've been on a little tour, but LA is special. Like, I feel so connected to the city and all the people in it and everyone here tonight. And I'm so grateful to you for being here. And so I wanted to just start off with a little bit of gratitude and some things I've been thinking about lately. And then I'm gonna dip into my book. So, of course, I want to start off with gratitude for the Tongva and the Shumash whose land we are on and who, on whose land I grew up. And um, I am grateful to their stewardship. 
I, of course, want to thank Skylight, who has been such a tremendous support to me throughout all of my work when I was just publishing little zines and they were selling them here. That was amazing, um, especially Jen Witte, who's been such a support. And Pam, thank you so much you for, <laughs> for doing me. this. I want to thank the trees on whose bodies my words are written, and the plants and the animals who have nourished me, my parents, my mother, and her mother and hers, my brother, my other brother, my father and his father and his, and I want to I want to thank and acknowledge the lives that have been sacrificed for really even the smallest thing that I do. The pen that I write with, people staying up all night in factories somewhere to create that pen, the ink that is drawn from the earth, the history of literature, writers of memoir, those teachers who taught me how to write, my friends who talked me down from ledges multitudes of times, my lovers who've comforted me, broke me open, made me grow, the sun whose light has sustained me. I really want to acknowledge, in particular, the spirits of nature and the spirits of the earth, who even now, as they are collapsing, sustain us. The water that even now, as it becomes acid and fills with plastic and is used to frack and blast oil from the inner bones of the earth, even now this water blesses and sustains us. The air created by the trees whose body I consume to write this book, the air still gives me life. I can never repay the spirits for all they have given me, and I can never even begin to repay them. And it may be that the idea of repayment misses the point. Amanda did not write this book. The earth wrote this book. Amanda was the vehicle, and she found it hard to get out of the way. And so I just want to take a second for all of us to acknowledge all of the things that have to come together for anything that we create. And we're all, most of us, artists here, I think. You know, I, I have the great honor and privilege to, to be in the company of a great many artists and writers and thinkers and creators. And even the smallest thing that we do is supported by the entire world. It's really magical. To me, that's what magic is. So I think I will begin <laughs> my reading with that. So, it's just easier for me, I think, if I'm standing. I'm going to read to you from the prologue. I'm going to skip through like a fairy. Um, it's like eight pages, but I'm going to skip several of them just because it's intense to listen to somebody read for so long, and then we're going to dip in with Pam. So it begins with a poem by Anne Waldman from Trickster Feminism. When you are in your trouble and turn from death, this is what to do. Find the meeting place. 
intersectionality, under stars, way to gnosis, saying this is the place. This is indeed the place with many layers. Lie down here. Search for the three stars that make up the belt of Orion. I squinted through the starlight, tracing my finger along a line of instructions I'd written in my book of shadows, the place where witches inscribe their favorite spells. Alone, at a crossroads, deep in the Mojave Desert, it was to the constellation of Orion that I was to address my invocation. Into the night, I chanted. Eoth, Abroath, Basim, Isak, Saboath, Ayo! Hot winds seared up from the borderlands near Mexico. My candles in their safety glass sputtered and died. I clamped down on the pages of my notebook, lest they vanish into the spectral scrubs surrounding me on all sides. I was in the desert to perform the headless rite, an arcane piece of ceremonial magic where you declare yourself divine. You call down the goddess Isis to enter you. You speak in her voice. I am the one who makes the lightning flash and the thunder roll. I am the one whose sweat falls upon the earth as rains so that life can begin. I was there because I didn't want to, because I could not play by the rules of the status quo anymore. I was done done capitulating. The headless rite was to be the last in a series of magical initiations I saw myself as having begun at birth. Barefoot and virtually naked, the sheer cotton dress I used during my solitary rituals snapped around my legs like wolves in the dark. I stood inside a towering cove of red rocks each a million years old and warm to the touch, still radiating the sun's heat at midnight. Spiny fields of jumping cactus, luminous in the starlight, formed a sea around me, waiting to leap out and pierce my bare legs with their thorns. It was dangerous land. Rattlesnakes, coyotes skulking through the creosote brambles. But I was mostly worried about the desert dwellers, macho, meth-addled young men in their monster trucks, out there somewhere guzzling 40s and howling their bloodlust into the desert void. Like most women and feminine identifying people, witches are familiar with the demons of patriarchy. They follow us everywhere. Even out in the desert, we can't be alone in our rights. 
the shadow of violence falls unbidden. And for many of us, just the threat of it. The lifetime of warnings to be careful. The accumulation of micro and macro assaults are enough to keep us home safe under the protective aegis of the patriarchal father gods. Every time I saw headlights advancing along the horizon or heard the low growl of a motorcycle bounce off the canyon walls, I fought the urge to run and hide. But I would not be chased for my magic by bad boy bros who thought they owned the world. I was there on principle. I was there out of a commitment to create the kind of world I wanted to live in. A world where witches raise power in the desert. A world where a woman could chant hymns to the goddess miles away from civilization without worrying that she might be attacked. So I chanted my incantations and spattered my libations into the red earth and tried not to think about how I never had to test my magic against men who, should they appear, I felt sure would have guns. I've always made it a policy to do things that scare me. So I'm gonna skip ahead. Here I talk about what an initiation is and I talk about Mercia Eliade and I talk about my own initiation with my mom. And then I'm just gonna skip back to that ritual in the desert. By the time I was in the desert conducting the headless rite, it was deep summer. I'd been supporting myself as a witch for several years, and I felt more liberated and empowered than ever. In the months after my desert rite, every time I tuned in, I heard the goddess asking me to come out of the broom closet in a big way and stake a claim for us witches. She told me that now was not the time when the wild women of the world could afford to stand on decorum. It was time that we activated. It was time that we sought to inspire others, even if we worried that we'd be laughed at or get death threats, which I've done, both of them. Even if we were afraid it would be a waste of our time that we'd lose, be judged, or get it wrong. By her grace, I found myself holding rituals at art museums, interviewed by the LA Times, arguing politics with conservative pundits on Fox News, mixed in with the threats of rape and beheading that I received after these appearances, were hundreds of emails from people thanking me for pointing their path towards witchcraft. In the lectures I gave on witchcraft at universities, students, especially the young women, would line up, eyes hungry and shining as they gripped their binders, asking for ways they could start practicing at home. Witchcraft is an act of healing and an act of resistance. Declaring oneself a witch, practicing magic, has everything to do with claiming authority and power for oneself. Life initiates each of us according to our own peculiar stories. Our stories lead us towards our purpose in this world. Each initiation strips something away and gives us a gift. If we want to meet our full form, 
we are obligated to give that gift to the world. I write this book because I know you, dear witches. I see you, wherever you are, pulling like a demon horse against the bridle this patriarchal world has put on you. We are allies. We are each other's guardians. And just as I hope for this book to help you, your presence, just the knowledge that you exist, helps me to keep going myself, to flesh out my world, to make it sacred. I see you, surrounded by stones, a pleasure-seeking beast with resistance tattooed across your chest. I see you, face turned up to the moon, fists full of desert flowers. You, untamable creature, slipping into trances, barefoot, weaving the voices of the wilderness into your songs. The seeds that drip from your fingers will regenerate the earth. All acts of love and pleasure are your rituals. You are an initiate of the goddess of love, even if you don't know it yet. Take heart, dear witch, because by the end of this book, you will. Yes. <laughs> So exquisite, Amanda. My stars. And um, magic is such an improvisational kind of practice, as I'm sure you can attest. We come up with our rituals. We come up with what we think a day is going to go like, and then it switches. And um, on that note, I just came up with like a few new questions. Great. <laughs> so um, the first thing that came to me while I was just hearing you and witnessing you read right now. And I actually had the great pleasure of seeing Amanda do a ritual. We were both in San Francisco at the Witches' Confluence a couple days ago, and it was incredible. Um, and you do have this background in performance. You have this background as an artist. You invoked and named all of the creative artists who are here today as well. Can you talk about the overlap for you between creativity and magic and performance? Mm. How do you blend those together? Because you do it so beautifully. Mm, thank you. That's such a great question. Yeah, it was really great seeing you there at the Witches' Conference, Sarah Faith Godestiner, who I think is here somewhere tonight, uh, my co-host, and I did a ritual um, there, and it was really special. Um, thank you for being there. Yeah, so creativity and magic. As you know, but maybe some of the people in the audience are not aware, some of the very first temples, well, some of the, the very first theater, at least in the Western tradition, began at the temples of Dionysus. And these temples of Dionysus, the theater of Dionysus, was, was somehow combined with also the temples of Asclepius, who's the god of healing. So from the very beginning of what we understand to be performance in our culture, at least here in Western culture, Healing, magic, and theater, performance, all emerged from the same ground, 
Like literally people would sleep there. They would go there to experience um, catharsis, the transcendent, to, to, to engage with mythologies, with culture, with all of the things that enrich our life. And in fact, I would s imagine that most of the cultures, indigenous cultures from around the world, pre-colonial cultures, don't make a distinction between performance, healing, magic, ritual, the sacred. And I would argue too then that we can see that as the sacred, as magic, as theater, as healing become these discrete entities this is happening in parallel with the rise of capitalism, the rise of colonialism, the rise of patriarchy. And I don't think that's an accident, mm. you know? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And so one of the things that comes to mind when I hear you talk about that is also how performance and magic, especially in the classical age, was about initiation, like mm. the mysteries um, where people would be descending and kind of mimicking Demeter and Persephone, mm. um, the Eleusinian mysteries. And so you came up with the word initiation as the word to be emblazoned on the cover of your book. <laughs> and you gave us a little bit of a hint at the beginning um, that your intro has more explanation for why you chose that word. But can you tell the kind people who are here, why did you land on that title? And what was it about the concept or the notion of initiation mm. that felt important to center mm. for this book? Well, so, you know, initially this book was three different books. It was, <laughs> is that for you? So. Yes, I know that life. <laughs> so initially I had a book that was more like a book of poetry um, and about magic and witchcraft. And then there was one that was like a how-to book about it. And then memoir kept getting in the way. It just kind of kept coming in and was like, Y'all get out of the way. I want to take center stage here. And just because of the nature of my life, it meant that I was looking at a lot of really difficult and challenging things that I had experienced early in my life. And then also getting, tracing the legacy of that back through my family lineage. And then thinking about how that's not just my family lineage. It's like the lineage of our culture is dealing with like brutality, trauma, anxiety, you know, mental illness, genocide, all of these things. I mean, and I am very privileged even within that um, to, you know, the, the, the struggles that I have experienced pale in comparison to, to many of the people in our culture, specifically people of color, indigenous people. Um, and so I was really thinking about also questions that people were asking me a lot at the time, which is about like, how do you practice magic and, you know, worrying that they'd get it wrong or, you know, wanting these kind of first early steps. And I was just realizing that, you know, I, I come from which mother? Like, my mother taught me witchcraft when I was a child. I had a ceremony when I was 13, you know, the Rite of Roses that brought me into that craft. 
But that didn't mean that I was a witch, really, you know? Absolutely, and a lot of people don't have witch mothers. Some people come from long lineages, right. but some people, they're really into Led Zeppelin. Exactly, you know, like and yeah, so the, the, the point of that then is, like, it wasn't having a witch mother that made me a witch. It was the way that I related to the struggles that I had when I was younger and really stepping in to my power and like being willing to engage in this romance that is magic. Oh, I love that. It is very romantic, isn't it? It is very romantic. And to, to, like, you know, I think of an initiation as a beginning. Like, even the word is, like, we initiate something. We launch it. We begin it. But an initiation is also an ordeal. Like, you get taken out into the woods and left there, and you have to find your way back. Or you get tied to an anthill. Mm -hmm. Or you get abused. Or you, you, you lose your job. Or you lose someone that you love dearly. Or you are diagnosed with a mental illness or something like that. And, you know, you have to wrestle with this. You have to struggle with this. Mm -hmm. And some, you know, initiations are real. They do not play. It is not a joke. You know, when I was a child, yes, I was initiated and the roses were brushed on my cheeks and we cut the cord between my mother and I. And that was ceremonial. But the real initiations that we face have serious consequences. Not everyone survives them. Sometimes the bravest and the strongest don't make it through. But if you do make it through, and it's you, you do not have to be grateful for your struggles. You do not have to be grateful for your traumas or the things that have harmed you, but you can have gratitude for the strength that you've found to pull yourself through that. And then once you come out, in the book I talk about how that's the underworld. We get initiated by being pulled into the underworld against our will oftentimes. And we find our way out sort of by feel in the, in the sort of torchlight but that once we find our way out, we know the way. And then we're obligated to share that understanding with other people who were down there too. And in fact, that's how I got out, was through other, other witches, other artists, other poets, other dancers, other thinkers. You know, my, my friends, like, those lights showed me the way out. And that's what makes you a witch is when you find that, that strength, that power, instead of just thinking that you're at the mercy of the world, but that you recognize your agency within that and then find a way out of the underworld. So. Absolutely. And I love the distinction between voluntary initiations and the ones that happen to you, because to your point, most of them are involuntary, yeah. right? And right. a lot of the ones that you write about in this book that you went through personally, there's a lot of trauma in here. It's, it's a beautiful book. It's very uplifting, but there is quite a bit of shadow in mm. here and your own struggles and different experiences, you know, that a lot of my friends tease me that it's a Scorpio book. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's, really that's so great. 
And so I wanted to delve into that notion of like shadow work mm. because especially in light of the fact that I think a lot of people think that witchcraft, especially in today's context, it's all about like crystals and light mm. and sending light to each other. And that's part of it. But there's also a whole shadow side, not, not an evil side, but a shadow side, right? Darkness is not evil. Mm. So can you talk a little bit about um, your work, both as a writer and as a witch, delving into the shadow? Mm. I would love to. And I would also, it's so amazing that you asked that question because actually my podcast partner and I, Sarah, are having a workshop right now that you can get online on our website, strangemagicpodcast.com, about shadow work. Okay, so. (laughs) (laughs) And it's really good, so you should check it out. But um, so shadow work... Just to re- just to reframe your question, Please. you're saying like, does all witchcraft involve shadow work? Or yes, that's part of it. But also, were you thinking of your book um, as as shadow work, mm. both as a witch and personally as shadow work? Too? Yeah. Okay. So that question is really exciting to me because oh, this is one of the <laughs> you are asking such great questions. <gasps> Thanks. <laughs> so. I really see the shadow side, the shadow distinction as being one of the fundamental identifying features of witchcraft and what makes it really different from like many other quote unquote new age spiritualities. And one of the things that I find really um, troubling about a lot of new age spiritualities in which I think give them a bad reputation is this sort of love and light mentality like if we just focus on our right mantra that we can um have the life that we want and and the problem with that of course is that it ignores systemic oppression in our culture if everybody could just think their way out by thinking of positive thoughts then we'd be there by now or there wouldn't be poverty. Yeah, and it places so much blame on people. Like these terrible circumstances that one is in is because they're just not thinking positive enough or using the right crystal. Exactly right, yeah. And so one of the things that I think is really important about witchcraft and that we can see historically about witchcraft is that witches are always, by their very nature, just, you know, on the margins, like they're in the liminal spaces. They're the people who reject and resist the status quo by their very nature that is fundamental to the practice. And it's a spiritual practice that is based in love and celebration for the earth itself and and recognition of the spirit of the earth. And if we recognize with honesty that like the earth is like, in deep crisis Mm -hmm. and many of us on it are in deep crisis and one of the things that I really I feel like rage actively against in the book is like nobody wants to talk about this like in our families like abuse goes on you know struggle goes on like oppression goes on And it's like, let's just pretend that's not happening. Let's be positive. And I really see that that's a function of white supremacy very much. Like this ignoring of the reality of the situation, like Trump being like, oh, the Syrians are just going to have to work it out with the Turkish. Like work it out. They're dying. People are getting shot in the face. Like the idea that we're just going to ignore that is appalling to me. 
And so, you know, witches are healers and we cannot heal unless we recognize that there are wounds there. Mm. And that's not to be like, let's celebrate that and like dwell in the negative or whatever. It's more about like, it's a, for me personally, you know, it's a celebration of life and the life force and the vitality of our spirits and all beings on this planet. And, and we can't do that unless we recognize the hurt that is happening, like, and be with that and be willing to address that. So, yeah, that's something I often find frustrating in dialogue about witchcraft is that people like us are made to be kooky and in the clouds and fantastical and I'm like I feel like we're realists <laughs> yeah, totally. you know what I, I mean that all the time yeah absolutely I want to pivot a little bit and just talk about um the book in terms of how it might be received, how mm. it's being marketed mm. and framed and contextualized mm. you and I have talked about this quite a bit <laughs> privately I think it's wonderful that a book like this has the word witchcraft in terms of the genre, but to me it's so much more and it's not mm. only about witchcraft. This mm. is memoir, mm. it's autobiography, mm. there's a lot of politics in here. I mean, it has real meat to it and that's not too poo-poo witchcraft. I'm very proud to be associated with that in terms of like the subject matter of the work I do too, but I just wonder how you're feeling about the fact that this very literary book is being shelved next to like how to do a spell to hex your boss or whatever, you know? I mean, that part, I have to admit, it's really frustrating mm -hmm. because I, even when I sold the book, when I pitched the book, um, one of the things that I wrote in my proposal is that this book is about witchcraft in the same way that Cheryl Strayed's book Wild is about hiking the Pacific Crest Trail, mm -hmm. which is like, you don't have to just be a hiker to like that book. Thank you. <laughs> and and yeah. that's really the way that I see this book. And what is so frustrating, and I think just as a you know feminine identifying person, I, 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 I see that this is not the only time that this has happened to me, but it's like, well, we already have like a witch book or we've already talked about witchcraft. And it's like, but this is like, I'm just like getting all, <laughs> you know, it's, it's the frustrating part about it is having your practice and your ideas pigeonholed by people who know nothing about them. Like all the people who are like, oh, I don't like astrology. And I'm like, well, how much do you really know about astrology? Like whoever, like, have you ever really like gone into it? Because it's so much also about like mythology and history and like a different way of relating to time and the world. And it's really entering into a poetics of time. And why can people like, they're like, no, it's not about that. And you're like, well, how can you say that? You've never read an astrology book. You don't know what it is. And so it's very frustrating to have people be like, oh, this is what witchcraft is about. Spooky, scary. It's about casting curses. And you're just like, I've had so many like journalists and things asking me about like, but are hexes real? And I'll be like, no. Or, I mean, I don't say no, but, I'll, you know, it's, like, very complicated. Yes. It's so hard to make sound bites out of witchcraft. I know. Let me tell you. It's like, so hard. And, yes. And, and so you're just... So the problem is that you're basically, when you're getting publicity as a witch, it's basically 
newspapers saying like, isn't it crazy there's witches? And I'm like, can't we move beyond that? Because witches have like, witches were spoken about in the Odyssey. It was written like 500 years before Christ. Like when we hear about Christ, are we being like, isn't it crazy that there's Christ? And I mean, I kind of do think that. (laughs) But do we have to like, go back and retread that ground every single time, wouldn't it be better to talk about like the substantive issues that witches are getting at, which is really about working in service of the soul of the world and seeing everything on this planet as being connected, as about relinquishing, both simultaneously relinquishing some of our individualism and recognizing that we are all profoundly connected with one another, that there is no separation, like the water in my body is the same as the water in the ocean, that there is no separation, we're in constant flow. Witchcraft is completely about relationship, but also about recognizing and finding your power and agency within that connectivity. And that is also something that is constantly discouraged by the symbolic order, by the world in which we live, and yet we're sitting here talking about like, what, like, do you really think that if you burn an orange candle that Trump will, and you're I just know. like, no, <laughs> you're the one saying that and you don't know anything about this. Like literally people are like, wow, you don't have green skin. It's ridiculous. <laughs> Where are your warts? I and know, I like, know, I know. It's, so, it's also just very, very lazy. <laughs> yeah, it's but, really lazy. But getting back to memoir, do you also think, um, I don't know. I've been thinking a lot lately about sexism yeah, and how when things appeal to largely a female or a feminine identifying audience. And queer audience as yep, well. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. That it's often trivialized or not taken as seriously. Mm. And I think your book is so beautifully written just as a text, as a piece of literature. Um, and that's not to um, talk down to the other witchcraft books. Right. There are some amazing witchcraft right. books and how-to books that right. are out there. But this to me is more in the literature category. I, f- I see that too. Thank yes. you for thank you for <laughs> seeing me. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I don't actually have a question. I just wanted to mark that Yes. because I, I, I also think that this book can be enjoyed by people who are not just practitioners yeah it's not just about it yeah exactly well it's about coming of age and coming into your own power and also navigating the real hardships and shadows and rifts that happen in our lives and you happen to be navigating them in this exquisitely poetic romantic magical way Mm. but I think it's very relatable to anyone who's just a person dealing with the shit of being a person well, and I, I think that, uh, that I think that you're getting to a really important issue about that. Like, w- if if women in particular, feminine identifying people, queer people are interested in something, it's often treated as if it's just a, some sort of frivolous yeah, hobby. It's foolish. Yeah. Or it's sensationalized. It's threatening. Right. It's going to be the downfall of society. Right. It's like sexy and horrifying at the same time. And yeah. I think, you know, witches are really smart. All the witches that I know are really smart. You have to be pretty... You have to have like a lot of guts to sort of publicly call yourself a witch and 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 work in that way Hell because yeah. like you just get constantly like made fun of and trivialized and so the witches that I know are really brilliant 
And we and also sorry, well read. Well read. Yeah. Like you have to read a lot of yeah, stuff. Yeah. There's not just the one book they hand you. Yeah. Like you're not you have just to navigate a lot of different texts and figure out your own path. And and really question what you're reading and what works and what doesn't. And you're like connecting it with like mythology, with history, with economics. Like oh, most witches that I know are working very potently and powerfully in the direction of um, you know social justice. Mm-hmm. And so I think that, um, where was I going with that? I was going to say that the... Sexism. What, yeah, that sexism, that, that, that things get trivialized when people who are working for marginalized groups are interested in that thing. Absolutely. Oh, there's some other thing. Maybe it'll pop back in. Okay, it'll come back. Um, speaking of things popping into your mind, there's a phrase that you use in the book um, that comes from occult scholarship, which is the mm. word egregore. Mm. And I love it. Um, it's not the first time I encountered it, but it's the first time I connected to it mm. was, was reading how you framed what an egregore is. So can you explain what an egregore is? And then follow-up question, can you maybe tell us what you hope the egregore of your book will be? Mm. Yes, <laughs> I would love to. So an egregore is essentially, it's sometimes known as a thought form. It's like an angel. It's like a... It's a, a spirit, one might say, in a poetic sense of a group that we create collectively. So for instance, like Jesus is an egregore. When you get together and you pray to something and you write hymns to it and you paint it and you, um, you know, you, everybody over generations feeds into it, then it becomes like its own thing. So for instance, like even when all of us die, going back to the, the Jesus analogy, um, like Jesus will live on, right? I'm sure that Jesus will live on. He resurrects himself. But um, but it doesn't always have to be uh, something like that. It can be some. It, it can be like the spirit of an event, like a football game or something that sort of comes into being and then dissipates just as quickly. And so I think your question is like, what do you want? What do I want this egregore of this book with you know all the all my witches out there? Yes. Um, what reading is your this intention and what do you hope? Um, what do you hope you're conjuring with the book? Can I like shoot the moon here or shoot for the moon? Oh, I think you must. Yeah, I would love for, I would love for everyone. I, I kind of want to like be like a wolf and sort of pick off the folks around the edges of the herd who are like leaning towards witchcraft and sort of draw them in and seduce everyone to start recognizing their own power and agency and authority so that we then decide collectively to re-enchant the world and destroy white, you know, white supremacist capitalist patriarchy and rebuild a world in service of love and life and connection to re-enchant the world. I, that's what I'm aiming for. That's gorgeous. Ingrid is supposed to give me a time, and I don't know where Ingrid went. Okay, thank you. I'm going to ask just one or two more okay. questions, and then we'll get to the audience. Okay. Speaking of capitalism, yeah. Um, this is something I think a lot of us who are in the spiritual field are trying to reckon with mm. or wrestle with. Mm. You know, which has got to eat, right? right? So how are you thinking about capitalism and witchcraft today, especially in light of witchcraft being 
more trendy. Right. There is a lot more um, opportunity and things you can buy and da, 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 people calling potential. themselves witch life coaches mm. and all of that. <laughs> yeah. What are you thinking about in terms of capitalism and witchcraft? Well, so one of the things that I talk about in the book is how part of my desire to escape, you know, the underworld was a desire essentially to escape capitalism because I hated having the abysmal jobs that I had you know, before I became a witch. And then even when I got a job that I thought would be a good one, like, you know, you go to grad school and then you get a job teaching, but it's like adjunct teaching. And it's like, it's not what you thought it was going to be. And, you know, so it was, it's so true with, with so many things that we're doing. And there's nothing that we can do. For instance, as I was talking about using my pen to write this book, like the pen is plastic and it's like killing turtles and destroying the planet. And so part of... What I have to acknowledge is that, and I acknowledge this in the book, is that there is no outside of this system anymore. Like, there is no escape. And that's why we need to become witches, because we have to just deal with whatever is here as it is, instead of hoping for, like, the aliens to come help us, or Prince Charming to come right up on his horse. He's not coming. And so we have to recognize, and I think as you were saying, like witches are realists. Like I live in capitalism, I have student loans, my rent is $1,600 a month, I have my- God, that sounds so cheap to me. <laughs> She's from like, New York. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, I have, I have car payments, I have car registration, you know, I have all mm -hmm. that stuff. So, you know, yeah. If I was living in an ideal world, you know, like I would be holding moon ceremonies and healing work and ritual and that would be free and I would love to offer that. But also like if I don't charge for my work, then I won't keep doing it. I'll have to go back to adjunct teaching because I won't be able to support myself. I won't be able to support myself adjunct teaching either. But like, that is true. but you know, so the only, so, you know, we have to live within this system and even if we didn't, even if we're like, no, I'm going to go live in a commune somewhere. Well, you need to buy that land mm -hmm. unless someone is like independently wealthy. And then if you don't remain constantly vigilant, then someone is going to come kick you off that land so they can build a freeway there or whatever. So we don't have the luxury of being in denial about the situation that we find ourselves in. And instead, you know... <sighs> Yes, it's true that the master's tools can never dismantle the master's house, but I think, you know, as, Aud as Audre Lorde said, but witchcraft is not the master's tools. Like, yeah, my website is the master's tools, but, you know, song, ritual, libation, chanting hymns to the goddess, like recognizing the connectedness of all things, like taking time out of your day to like honor the spirits of water, that is not the master's tools. Yeah. Those, those are the tools of, of the goddess. And when I say the goddess, what I mean very specifically is the world soul, the anima mundi, the spirit of Gaia, this planet. You know, like, I really believe that witchcraft is, like, the the religion of the planet. And it comes in many forms in wherever specific, you know, wherever um, uh, you live. It's very place-specific. Like, whatever ground is under you, like, that is the work for you to do right there. You don't need to go anywhere else. You don't need to go to a Tibetan mountaintop. The people in Tibet are going to do their 
ritual, their magic there, and and we're going to do it here. Yes. Well, you are doing such beautiful magic right here. Thank you you for this rich, brave, gorgeous book. Um, And congratulations. I have a million more questions, but Ingrid is showing me that I should give you guys the floor. So does anyone have any questions for the wonderful witch Amanda? Yes, ma'am. And can you speak so loud, like even louder than you think you need to speak? I believe that. Yes. <laughs> I believe that. She's like Capricorn. Awesome. She's like. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah. I'm so happy you asked that. That was literally going to be the question. And I will add a coda. Did you use magic? Mm. Yes. Okay. So great question. I actually have an essay coming out in Lit Hub about this very subject, which is this writing this book was completely torture for me. It was miserable and horrible (laughs) every single minute. Mm -hmm. I am not exaggerating. I cried. I lost my hair. I like, uh, I could not be in a relationship. I would, I just would, I just like, it was so messy and hard because I really felt like I was breaking like a family curse um, that had prevented me from completing my work, which had always kind of got up in my face and prevented me. I mean, I've written four books before, but I was never able to like get them out into the world or I would abandon them last minute. And I was terrified that this would happen again, particularly because, you know, I'd sold the book already and there was a deadline for it and I'd been paid, you know, for it. And I was just like, oh, I'm going to have to give the money back. I'm not going to be able to do it. And so part of writing the book, like, like there, the part, so in one hand, the techniques I used were cry, like, <laughs> ruin my body sit there like just forcing myself to sit there being like I can't think of anything I can't think of anything I can't do this I can't do this and I did that a lot I did that for many days but towards the end I did kind of you know this is this is something that's really crazy about witchcraft I bet you you can identify with with all the witches I bet can identify with this is that you have these tools right you have these strategies to turn to and instead you like cry and drink coffee and like go on Instagram. And then finally, when you get to the moment where you're just most desperate, you're like, okay, I'm going to do a ritual. Mm. And then it works. And you're like, why haven't I been doing this? And also like, if I haven't been doing this, you know, then who is doing this? But yeah, so. <laughs> Yeah, so what I um, I had the muses, and I would say their names, and then I worked specifically with um, Mercury. I wanted to work with the goddess Bridget because, you know, it's a female goddess, and I just tend to identify more with, with goddesses, um, but, the, but she just wasn't really coming for me, and Mercury was coming all over the place. Hermes, you know, queer god, Odin. I got an Odin mat. I mean, Hermes, Mercury, Odin are kind of the same like in energy signature energy mm-hmm. imprint mm-hmm. 
And so I made this candle. I, I, I glued the, um, the image from Penny Slinger's Oracle deck of Mercury. Yes. It's so great. On this candle. And I wrote this hymn to him based on the Orc Orphic hymns. I like, you know, translated it into my own words. And I would light his incense and I would dance around in my room and I would chant his name until something just broke. And I would say, please come guide me. And then he did, yeah. So, but you know, I, I think one of the reasons why that kind of stuff works is because the habit that I was doing before, crying, Instagramming, coffee, like that's a really old habit of mind that I've established for a really long time, you know, which is this like self-doubt mantra. Mm -hmm. And ritual breaks that, it breaks literally the pattern that your your brainwaves are moving in, like the, on the sort of neurological pathways that you ordinarily go through in your mind, which are like, you can't do that. You can't do that. You can't do that. It's just like the, it's the 405, you know, heading down the 405. <laughs> and you have to kind of go off and get off, you know, the like side road on a detour. And that detour is ritual, right? It makes you... It, it puts you in a different frame of mind. So you're using scent, you know, like the smell of the, you know, I use frankincense because that's his incense, but that also has like, um, like antidepressive properties. You know, I have the candles lit. It just makes me feel more in awe, more inspired, you know, like I would put on music that uh, I felt like really spoke to, um, to him, to, to cultivating this, this atmosphere of, of reverence. And it's really hard in that atmosphere to maintain your same habits of mind. Mm -hmm. And so, so the, the rituals are working on levels that we don't always think about, you know, like we're like, how can calling Mercury, like if, unless you really believe that Mercury is like a winged, sandaled person who's kind of coming into the room how can that work well it's because you're connecting to the whole history of that mythology of this like queer healer who kind of comes in and and like uh, is able to solve all riddles and is able to uh, coax even the most uh, taciturn rocks to speak and chant you know, you're connecting to that and you're using song and vibration and light and scent. And so it does really radically change things mm. for that reason. And I can't help but just note for everybody that writing a book is such an initiation. It sounds like a whole yes. other thing you went through. Yes. Next question. Hi. Yeah. So, okay, so if I'm understanding your, your question correctly, you're saying that, um, that it, it feels good to like identify as a witch and the sort of power that that implies, but that it doesn't always necessarily work out the way that you want it to. And so how do you feel good and powerful about yourself in that circumstance? 
Yeah, so that's a great question. And, you know, what immediately comes into my mind is, you know, like I said, witchcraft is about relationship. And not every relationship we get in works out, you know? Um, but that doesn't mean that we're not good and powerful. You know, we're always learning from it. We're always growing from it. I think, you know, part, part of witchcraft is, of course, to get what you want. But there are a couple things that, that get in the way. One is sometimes what we want, sometimes what we think that we want, and we say that we want, is not actually what we really want, or weird, like, self-sabotaging or whatever. Like, you know, you say you want to publish a book, and then you're like, oh, fuck. Now I have to write this thing, right? Um, but also, there are other things that get in the way. Like, for instance, you know, a lot of the feelings that I had of, like, unworthiness or self-doubt, like, are really based on, like, literal direct line to trauma. Right? I think that because someone made me think that, you know, that, that I was treated like I, w I wasn't valuable, my voice wasn't important. So, you know, your, your, your magic has to, to, to reckon with all that, and we can't expect that just, you know, in, you know, a lifetime of trauma or, you know, g multiple generations of that, that we can just, you know, erase that with the burning of a candle or like if you're doing a spell on behalf of a friend who's like really sick you know it 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 might not be their destiny to to recover from that in fact we're all heading in the same direction so we're not going to prevent like death from happening for instance but i see witchcraft as a way of helping you fall in love with your life so it's not just about solving the problem it's about being fully present to whatever is there and kind of treating it as something interesting and enriching. And it's, I, I always use this analogy of like, when you're a witch, it's like you're, you're dropped behind enemy lines kind of in the battlefield. And it's like, now you have to figure out what to do. And you're not just gonna like lay on the ground and cower. You know, you're gonna like, you're gonna do what you can. You know, like we're in a world right now that is in great peril, like beyond, beyond any of our comprehension. But we're not just gonna lay down and cower. Like we're gonna do everything we can. And for me, like I said, you know, with those rituals to Hermes, like that was like reminding me like, okay, I have tools here. Like I have a, like there's a rope for me to hold on to here. Like I can connect to this. And so I think a lot of the time, because we live in a culture that's so organized around getting what we want, we can't help but frame our magic and our ritual that way as well. But often it should be more about finding the strength within myself to cope with that or to find peace with whatever is happening or to feel a sense of agency to make good choices in dealing with all of that because we're not as you know like we're, we're we're we have power but we're also working in relation to the rest of the world and like it's also powerful you know it also might be working to a different does that sort of answer your question yeah thank you for that question
It reminds me of a conversation you and I had a couple of days ago, and you said something that I just loved where you talked about how witchcraft is people taking responsibility for their own lives. Yeah. And I love that in direct opposition to a lot of the narrative around witchcraft, which is like, we're all trying to escape our lives. And it's like, no, we're trying to do something about this and trying to actually um, face the, the lives that we have. So true, like, because it's not, it's like, we're trying to find new tools, new methods, new ways of solving problems when like a lot of the tools that we've been given don't work for us mm-hmm. or, you know, or only lead us deeper in. So for instance, you know, something that I re- wrestle with all the time, and I think it's to a question that you were asking earlier is like, part of me, you know, I don't want to be homeless. Like, I don't want to like not have retirement money. Like I, 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 I want all of those things. Like I love, you know, I love nice clothes, but like, and so part of me does just want to do spells for money or like does want to, you know, like do stuff for success and like wants to be like the baddest, most famous witch or whatever. You know, all my books flying off the shelves. Of course I want that. But the thing is, on a deeper level, I also just like want to destroy this system where I feel like I have to constantly ruthlessly strive and that is never going to be enough. And like, I'll never be able to sell enough books because then there's just another thing that I've got to sell, another thing that I've got to do. Like, And so on one hand, I do want to do work that just kind of gets me deeper down the like road of capitalist patriarchy because, you know, we all, like most of us here are artists or like we're like, you know, we want to do creative stuff and we want to just be able to do it. Like we feel like we're here to do that. And we just want to be able to do that here, you know, to live that life and not be caught and have to do something that we hate. And, and yet more and more, I think like, even as I'm publishing this, I just am becoming like more radical. Like how long are we just going to focus on you know, getting more, like, I need a bigger car, I need a bigger house, or I need more stability, like, it's going to come to our door. (laughs) The tsunami is going to come to our door, and that house is not going to matter anymore. Your retirement isn't going to matter anymore, right? When, you know, when the storms are rising and raging, or there is no water, or there are no fish, there's no kelp, you know, this, like, like, so... I think right now what I'm really focusing on in my work and what I really want to develop next is like, like a, literally I want to write a book about like how to cope with this and like what we can do. Like like rituals for like staying in this as like times get even tougher and we all need to be developing these rituals. Like rituals for grief, rituals for healing, rituals for connecting, rituals for making us stay strong in the face of, you know, all of this fear that is being fomented around us. Like telling us we have to be afraid of other people. They're going to come and they're going to take our jobs. You know, like all of this stuff. Like we're we're constantly feeling assaulted and I need for myself like help and support and so I want to create things that do that for my people you know like and I need them to do it for me so I think that's kind of what I'm hoping for all of us which is to do next is like to see ourselves as powerful players and supporters and agents and working in community to help one another and to help the world absolutely 
Any other questions? Yes, hello. Right. So I'm just curious when you think about that lineage and like the connection to Earth that you're celebrating and and connecting to as a witch. Like, how do you? How is the 2019? You know, our the way that nature is now. You know. Yeah. I love this question, and I think and probably we should end on this one. Or what do you think? I'm just letting Ingrid tell me what's up. I don't know where Ingrid is. (laughs) Five more minutes. Okay. I love this question. I have so much to say about this. Okay, so the question is like here in the Anthropocene where there is no outside anymore, right? Where like the the hedge witch who's kind of like living in her cabin in the woods on its chicken legs, you know, is like surrounded on all sides by a freeway and like a toxic waste dump on the other side. So how like how to make sense of that? Well, First of all, like I said, we really got to acknowledge the reality of the situation, right? And so some of the things that I've been doing recently or like really want to do and to develop more is like really paying attention to the, in my immediate surroundings. So for instance, finding like, what is the sacred tree on your block? And if there isn't one, why not? Where do these trees come from? Like, where does your water come from? You know, and I think one of the things that you know, witches are maligned for contemporary witches, like Instagram witches or whatever, um, is for kind of having this sort of me first attitude, like I need, you know, I'm going to do this so that I can be rich or whatever. But that's also because that's how we're taught to respond to the world. And we don't, we have to make new ways of responding. Like we, we only know how to connect spiritually by buying a crystal. Like we have, we haven't been taught to like connect to the stone that's just in the dirt in our yard. Mm -hmm. We don't even notice that because we're always like been trained to see like the bling thing, you know, and that's a function of consumerism. And so like we're having to retrain our brains to really notice what is around us, but also like it's not separate from us. So we really need to work in service to that thing. Like the trees, like there's some trees that recently got pulled out across the street from my house. and they were these camphor trees. Like, I, I don't know where camphor comes from. I want to know, like, where, where were these trees originally from? Like, are they from, like, Timbuktu? Are they from Georgia? You know, like, where, like, where do these trees come from? But I also liked them being there, and I didn't want them to be removed. But the people, so I went over as they were pulling them out. I'm like, why are you pulling these out? And they said that they were diseased and that they would spread, the disease would spread. And I was like, is that true? I'm not sure. But now it's incumbent upon me then to call, they gave me a number to call and be like, I want you to put new trees in. Like that is me being a witch. That is me being a hedge witch. Is like using my power to be like, okay, well, where does the water come from in my neighborhood? And like, I need to work in service of that water. 
you know, like what about the sacred mountains around here? Like, you know, wh where, where are the sacred places here? And one of the things that I even did here, you know, I was really influenced. Um, do you know Peter Gray's Apocalyptic Witchcraft? Oh, yeah, that's a good so one. So fucking good. It's yeah. really, I mean, it's really brilliant. There's some things in it I don't agree with, but I think I would recommend it to all of you. And there's um, this one part where he said, you know, in witchcraft you go like, hail guardians, spirits of water, you know, watch showers of emotion, watch showers of love, guardians of the sea or guardians of the rivers, hail and welcome. And he goes through this whole really brilliant analysis being like, well, those waters are now toxic and are full of acid and are full of plastic, hail and welcome to that. Like, what are you doing? Like, take this seriously, witches. And so even then, you know, then and, and reading his work really inspired me to rethink how I call in the spirits and want to do more work in relation to that. So like when I got, came here, I was thinking the water, but then I was thinking the water that even now is acidic and is still supporting me. And to honor that and acknowledge that and say that instead of just kind of paying nominal, um, like lip service to the spirits, like, oh, we honor the spirits of air. And it's like, well, we're polluting the air. Like I'm polluting the air with my car and I need to acknowledge that that is happening in our relationship. And so, you know, we have a lot of work to do as witches because this for me, I mean like witches don't proselytize. We're not trying to get more witches, but I kind of am like, yeah, we. but now we really do need to do this <laughs> because like this, because like, like we're not going to solve the problems of white supremacist capitalist patriarchy without having a spiritual component. I really don't believe that we can because the whole problem with it is that it doesn't see the planet as sacred. Mm -hmm. The whole problem is that the sacred no longer exists. So only the sacred in my mind can save us here. Like we have to see the world as inspirited. We have to see that it has a soul. We have to work on behalf of that. And so if we're not acknowledging that, then how can it happen? There is not a technological solution to a situation where we don't see a problem with exploiting everything. Like, like we don't see a problem with it as long as it provides some kind of economic resource or gives us some new technological advantage and that's just not acceptable. And, and so like one of the reasons why witchcraft is so important to me is because it makes us all recognize and question, but like recognize our own authority and question the authorities that are telling us what they're telling us and be willing to look at even the things within ourselves where we're like, oh, I've been calling on the spirits of water what am I doing in service of water? Like water is supporting me and I'm just like blithely going along while it, like while the oceans become dead. That's not, that's not enough. So yeah, in answer to your question, we all have a lot of work to do. We need to be creating rituals around this. We need to be creating songs about this. We need to be making things sacred. And so the question is how do we make something sacred? And I think we make something sacred by paying attention to it, mm. by writing hymns to it, by dancing around it, by painting it, by, you know, by visiting it, by connecting with it. And those are all the rituals of, of witchcraft as far as I'm 
concerned. So. Absolutely. And we also write books about it. We write books yes. about it. Yes. Amanda, thank you so much. Thank, and thank you, you so all much for, being for coming here. In. Thank you. Thank you for coming in. Such a blessing to be here with you tonight. Thank you. I'm going to be um, signing books if you want to get them signed. Um, I would love to, to meet you. And thank you so much. You've been listening to the Skylight Books author reading series. Don't forget, you can listen to this and all of our other great podcasts at skylightbooks.com. Thanks again for stopping by, and we hope to see you soon.